we did a study on those dreams. And today we're going to talk to you about the four dreams of Joseph. Joseph, who is the legal father of Jesus. The Bible gives us very little information about Joseph other than he is described as a righteous man. He was a carpenter by trade, um, probably not the kind that you would think of it that would frame houses. He mostly, most likely made furniture. That's what a carpenter did in those days. Houses were made of um, stone or clay. And he was of the lineage of David through Abraham, and he was from Nazareth in Galilee and betrothed or engaged uh, to be married to Mary. Now, engagement in that time was a very serious uh, commitment. It was as binding as marriage is we consider today because it was not only between two individuals, it was between two families. Families would get together and they would make an agreement. Now, uh, this, this could be a dangerous road that I travel down in the 21st century. Uh, sometimes, I, you'd, well, I'm just not going to travel down that road today. <laughs> but in th those days, families got together and chose the companion uh, of the husband or the wife. And uh, to work. Actually, it is still used in some countries of the world where the families make the choice. And because in all actuality, you just don't marry a person, you marry the family. And um, that's what I've taught my children. Uh, you don't just marry a person, you marry their, their whole family, their father, their mother, their brother, their sister. So hopefully you will get along with them before uh, you say I do. But in the biblical times, the time that this passage of scripture was written about Jesus, the engagement or betrothal was a very serious uh, agreement between two families. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, the scripture talks about, um, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately or secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee, Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. Now, he had considered what to do, the right thing. And uh, he was not going to make her an example. He was not going to uh, make this a public trial because he had every right in 
this is something that was uh, very shameful if uh, an individual um, came to, uh, there, a woman came expecting outside of marriage and she was already espoused. It was a very public trial and she would be put away. The family would be shamed, both families, and the communities around would know all the details. But the scripture here says that Joseph is a just man. He is a, a man who is not willing to make a public example. This is not something of pride. This is not something that uh, he wants to humiliate her. He, the scripture says he wants to do this in secret as much as possible to try to protect and to try to um, guard uh, Mary as much as possible. I think this is something that's very, um, uh, very important for our culture today. Uh, it seems um, in the last couple of decades that the more you reveal, the more uh, that you expose, that uh, the more um, you get it off your chest, so to speak, uh, the, the, the more the world glorifies in this. And while I'm not to, to keep secrets, that would be detrimental, but there are just, as Paul said, there are some things you don't talk about, and we just move on in life. If there needs to be a just matter taken care of, I'm in agreement, we, it justly needs to be taken care of. But just to spread your laundry out and for everyone to see, it should not be. There should be some circumspect attitudes in our lives that we don't tell everything. I, I have told this to my family. I, I, we, I was in a church, and, and I'll just tell you this a little example. And, and the husband said, oh, uh, you know, we've had a baby. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. And he, and I guess they had videotaped uh, the uh, birthing of the baby, and, which is a little awkward for me just to even hear about that. Uh, and he, then he said, I, we're having a party, and we're inviting everyone to come over and see the birthing process. And I said, brother, I'm not coming. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> I, I, I have seen the birthing process for my own children, and that's all I want to see. <laughs> Amen? I don't... I, I, I just can't, I could not look at your wife in the face and just, uh, uh, no, no, there's no way. I, it just, I can't have that in my mind. Amen? There's just some things that you have to keep private. It's being circumspect. Just because you know it doesn't mean you should say it. There's some justness and uprightness about this. Just because you know details, just because you know secrets, doesn't mean that you should tell them at all to anybody or to only to those who need to know. People ask me things all the time and I say, I don't know. I'm not a part of that. I don't need to know. There's no reason for me to know. If I, I had a need to know, I would ask to know. Amen? Uh, because there's some information, information that I don't want in my mind. I worship with those people and I don't want that information in my mind. People come to my office and they start telling me things and I put my hand up and say, that's enough. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know anymore. Someone said, well, do you need to know all the details? No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't need that in my mind. Amen? 
uh, because there's a temptation for too much information. There's a temptation for too much detail. And we look here at this righteous, godly man, and he said, I'm going to do this in secret as much as possible. I'm going to do things so that I don't cause any more harm and shame than I think that all has already be, been done. Amen? I remember a young girl in the church I was pastoring, not here in another church, and, and she was a teenager, and she came up pregnant, and so she came to my office. My wife and I were there, and, and her mother and her, she was there. It was a single mother, and, and uh, so she was very remorseful, very ashamed, and I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to come in the front of the church because you're a part of the youth group now, and you know what? You can't be any longer a part of the youth group. But I am going to dispel and I am going to squash all rumor mongering. I said, because it's very destructive to have rumors in the church. And I said, so I'm going to just put my arm around you and I'm going to stand in front of you and I'm going to tell what's happened. I'm not going to have you tell it. I'm going to tell it. And then I'm going to say, if there, if there are any questions you ask now, if you don't have a question, then you should not ask. You should not say anything. Don't call anybody. Don't talk to anybody on the phone. Don't text anybody. Don't say anything on Facebook about this because right now is for you to, to ask a question. And here in front of all these witnesses, and now we know we're here now to protect this young girl. We're here now to care for her and to care for this child and to make sure that she stays saved and that she doesn't leave the church because of shame. Amen. It's doing a right thing. Amen? While I didn't try to sweep it under the rug and say nothing has happened, it was going to be obvious in a few months that something had happened. And so I was going to dispel and I was going to, to solve all the problems right then so people couldn't talk about in back rooms and on some phone someplace and say, did you hear and did you know, did you know all the details? We're just going to get it out in public right now and find out what's going on. And then after this, forever hold your peace because we've already, it's public knowledge. Amen. Somebody called me up and said, did you know? I said, well, I think everybody in the world knows. <laughs> so that, what, what reason is there to talk about it? Amen. And so Joseph was a just man. He's looking out for the best interest of Mary. But while he thought on these things, these things were troubling to him. In verse 20, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and gave him specific instructions. We had talked on Wednesday night about the importance of dreams and why you should not discount them. While we also, every dream is not from the Lord. Many times the Lord speaks to us through dreams. And so you should have a spirit of discerning to figure out what dream is from the Lord and what dream is from your own human spirit. And uh, we discussed that at length on Wednesday night, and perhaps we will discuss it more in the future because it's an ongoing th situation. I, I dreamed this morning. I dreamed uh, yesterday morning and the morning before. I have dreams every day, and some said uh, they don't have dreams. Well, I'm, I probably would disagree with you on a personal level, but uh, we, we have to know that God is speaking to us at all times. He did not save me and just to abandon me and to let me wander around on my own. 
You see, because the world that I live in, there are a lot of uh, misunderstanding. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of uh, curves in the road. And, and I'm trying to figure out and, and to make the right step. But if we will have a spirit of understanding to hear the voice of God and to know what he's saying to us, he will give us specific direction for the problems that we face. And we won't wander around and get stuck so much as in a mud. And so here the angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream and said, Joseph, take the son of David. Fear not, don't be afraid to take Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived of in her is of the Holy Ghost. This, the, this child that she is carrying is conceived in her. It, it's of the Holy Ghost. This is very important. Matthew tells us that Mary and Joseph were uh, betrothed and, and uh, he received this direction. So he goes to her and says, we are going to get married. After there was a confrontation, you have to just read between the lines. I'm sure that there were some words that were spoken between Mary and Joseph at that time. If you just look at it from the scripture point of view, you don't read between the lines. But there was some discussion. As he asked her and she told him and he said, I'm not, I'm not sure that I believe you. And there's some doubt and there's some fear and there's trepidation. And all these things are going on. Amen. You have to understand the scripture here and what uh, is happening. And the angel reassured Mary that the child she is carrying had been conceived by the Holy Ghost. You see, he said in verse uh, 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He's going to be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That he is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that a virgin would have a son. Joseph believed the angel and married Mary and kept her as a virgin until after the birth of Jesus. <coughs> we have in this account several powerful arguments for the virgin birth of Jesus. <coughs> First, there is the prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. <coughs> I noticed that our our crew that put the lights together didn't, and uh, you have to do a, a leap over the, the extension cord. <coughs> extension cords are pretty valuable around here. Just ask Sister Edie. There has been more than once she has said, if you want this church vacuumed, I have to have an extension cord. Thank you. And I'm not sure who has taken mine. Amen. So I said, well, Sister Edie, I'll go buy you a few more and we'll put a big piece of tape around them. Not that that'll help, but <laughs> amen. We have an investment. Actually, I'm going to invest in stock in some company that makes extension cords. So we've bought enough of them. I would be pretty rich if I had all the stocks from that. <laughs> First, there's a prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah, given in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. You see, this prophecy was more than 700 years before the birth of Christ. It clearly states that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Matthew translates the Hebrew word Alma with the Greek word Parthenios, showing 
a virgin was prophesied. Secondly, there is an, the inspired dream of Joseph. Matthew records, an angel appeared to him in a dream. This is just more than just the normal dreams. I've had a lot of dreams, but I haven't had an angel appear in a dream. So if the Lord wants to bless me with that, I'll, I'm here to receive it. Amen? And third, there is the confidence of Joseph. He believed the explanation of the angel and married Mary. There is no evidence he ever doubted the virgin birth of Jesus. We have a just man here. I, I want to pause here for a moment to talk about the importance of the virgin birth. This is extremely important, this point right here. Some do not understand the importance and make no big deal about it or even scoff the idea that Jesus was born of a virgin. Christianity stands or falls on the virgin birth. Amen. I'm going to say that again to you, to all that are in my hearing. Christianity stands or falls on the virgin birth. This one point. If Jesus were not the son of God and only the son of Joseph or of some other unknown man, then he is an imposter. He was not the Son of God. He was not Emmanuel. He is not the Savior of the world. The cross means nothing, and we are still lost in our sins. So you can see the importance of this great doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It's something that you should really grasp, that this separates us from every other religion in the world, the virgin birth. Every other religious or uh, superstitious belief in the world, because we have a Messiah a Christ that was born from a woman who had not known a man who had been uh, blessed by the Holy Spirit to conceive and Jesus Christ was born of Mary of this union. Amen? This is a very, very important concept and I really, um, something that we should dwell on and think about uh, a lot more uh, rather than maybe in the month of December, in the last portion of December, we talk about the virgin birth, and the world doesn't talk about it at all. I, I know that this is an, um, a well-trod road and path, but uh, I, uh, watching a little cartoon, and I noticed that there was no mention of Jesus at all in the, the cartoon. It was, it was about Santa Claus, and, and I, I, I know that this is a, a, something that's pounded on during Christmas time, but uh, you know, uh, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, amen? He came in it not to give us gifts, <laughs> not, 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 to, not so that we could go shopping, not so that Walmart could be packed out. Uh, and those are all, uh, I guess, okay things. But really, he came into this world so that he could save us and redeem us and give us life and that more abundantly. I guess I should preach this message in July or June or August when no one's thinking about presents and I can drive by Walmart and there's the normal uh, 150 cars in the parking lot rather than 500. Amen? The second dream that is recorded in Matthew that Joseph had relates information given in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. And Matthew and Chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they, the wise men had departed, behold, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Matthew tells us that Joseph believed the angel again, and he and Mary fled with Jesus into Egypt. They remained there until the death of Herod the Great. He was not called Herod the Great because he was such a great individual. Uh, he did construct a lot of uh, edifices that are still standing today, but you have to use, uh, he used a lot of slave labor, and there was a lot of people that died to build those things. I've been on the top of Masada and looked down and thought, I wonder how many people died to construct this. I've been uh, to uh, the the Temple Mount, or those great stones there, they call the Western Wall, or some Christians call the Wailing Wall, and where you can go and pray. Those stones, some of them weighing up to 32 tons, they're massive pieces of work. The lower stones were, are Herodian, the upper stones are not uh, as um, chiseled as as finally as the bottom stones are, they're more rough. But the bottom stones, you can see this massive um, flat surface that they had created there. The original place that David had bought was just a hill. And Herod the Great flattened this hill. He created about 50 acres. It's a massive, massive undertaking. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many people died to build this. And his all his greatness. And so you have to understand that he was a very evil, ruthless individual. People's welfare and compassion for them was something that he didn't have. But they fled and went to Egypt. They remained there until the death of Herod the Great. And all of this was to fulfill the prophecy found in Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Out of Egypt did I call my son. Now historically... Israel was the son, and these words referred to God calling Israel out of Egypt. This exodus. God overcame Pharaoh and led his son, his children, out of Egyptian oppression and slavery. Matthew affirms by inspiration that this statement was also a prophecy. And it was a prophecy of the fact that God's beloved son would be called out of Egypt. Now all these are very picturesque because we are called out as uh, we refer to ourselves and how this applies to us. Uh, we're called out of Egypt. We're called out of the world, uh, out of darkness into a marvelous light. If you can see the potential of what God has done for us, how he was called out and we are called out and we are here today. If you have any sense of, of what God has done for you, you are blessed. You may not know all the 66 books. You may not know all the prophecies. But if you have a sense that Jesus Christ has blessed you, that he has raised you up, that he has set you on heavenly places, that he has put his spirit in you, he, you have been baptized into his name, then you are marvelously and wonderfully Wondrously blessed of the Lord. Someone shout, shout amen. Matthew affirms that this prophecy was the fact that God's beloved son would be called out of Egypt. 
Just before the 13th verse, there is a verse 12. The wise men warned of God. These wise men, I've often wondered about them. How did they even know anything about the one true living God? And so I, I got to studying a little bit uh, this past few weeks about these wise men. Always kind of looking and figuring and putting pieces together. It's always a very exciting thing when you get into the scripture. And uh, these wise men must have been under the influence of Daniel. It's because in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, Daniel was placed over all the wise men of the east. Here, this prophet Daniel, this one that had been taken from his family when he was about 16 or 17 years of age, and he was taken as a captive, taken to a land. He never saw Jerusalem. He never saw Israel. He never saw his homeland ever again. That was the last time he saw it. When he saw it, flames were reaching the sky because the Babylonians had set the, the palaces and the, and the temple and all the city on fire. And so he is being led out as a captive. And now here he is. He's placed in a position of authority over all the wise men of, each, of, of Babylon at this time. And uh, he, they were under the instruction of Daniel who had received instruction from the prophets there in Jerusalem. It is wonderful how God allows and works his miracle working power through the lives of people we touch. Amen. So you see, the prophets touched Daniel and they didn't know that Daniel was going to be touching wise men or influencing, and when I say touch, they're influencing wise men from the east. But here he is, he's taken as captive. And it looked like a bad time. I said on Wednesday how God protected and preserved Joseph from uh, the temptations of this world. Uh, you know, there was a woman uh, in Potiphar's house, his wife, and she cast her eye on him and said, hey, he's a good-looking guy, and I, and I think we can get together. And, and he was tempted. He was in the house all by himself, and he fled. And God said, okay, I'm going to take you, Joseph, and I'm going to put you in prison, and I'm going to preserve you. You know, sometimes uh, we get to pining away because things are not working out like we think they should. And perhaps God is preserving you for a time in the future that it can use you for his good and for his kingdom. Somebody say amen. And so he was 10 years in that prison. God was saving him for something marvelous. Amen. God saves us. God ministers to us. God gives us uh, an anointing, and then says, okay, I, I've got you in reserve. You know, it's a bad team that doesn't have anybody on the bench. I mean, you might have the best team in the world, and they can do great things, but, you know, they need to rest every now and again. And so you have a bench that's almost as good as your star players. And God puts people back on the bench, so to speak. He needs someone that he can draw from. If you prepare yourself, don't give up hope. Don't fail, fall back and say, well, I guess God's not doing anything in my life. Why don't you get on the bench and say, I'm going to have my mind prepared, my heart prepared, my life prepared, so that when God calls me off the bench, I'll be ready to do something for him. 
You know, I, I want, God calls people off the bench. He didn't want people to say, can you give me five, coach? I need to go over here and do some push-ups. I need to run a couple laps and get in shape. I need to, you know, I need to get myself, my, 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 you know, my game face on. No, you better have it all ready so that when God calls you, you're ready to step in position. I look at Joseph in Egypt there, and he was ready. Uh, he was willing and he was able. He had been thinking about this for a long time. I'm sure that there were a few days when he thought about the darkness and dun dinginess of that dungeon and that prison cell and all that, that, that he was surrounded with. It's not a very happy, pleasant group of people that you're surrounded with in prison. But there he was, and he was preparing his mind so that when he was called, he was ready. I don't find that there's any preparation that Joseph has to make uh, for, for uh, three weeks or two weeks or even a couple of days. Uh, he went and took a shower, shaved, uh, put on some new clothes uh, and appeared before Pharaoh. You see, when God calls you to do something, uh, you stand ready and waiting and able. Uh, you're prayed up and stayed up and read up uh, so that when God calls you, you can step into the position and do what he wants you to do. Somebody say amen. And so Daniel is taken I'm sure he was brokenhearted, taken to, if you'll segue with me and go with me for a few minutes to Babylon. And I'm sure that he had talked to them about the star in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. You see, this is Balaam's prophecy. This is perhaps the most beautiful prophecy in the Old Testament about the Messiah. Said a star shall appear, a scepter shall not depart out of Judah. Jacob's prophecy in Genesis 49 and 10, and then all this combined in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2. You see, they know something, these wise men. They know of Balaam's prophecy and they know of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, 25, and 26. But there's some information that they're lacking. I think of Paul when he met uh, the 12 men in Ephesus. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, well, we haven't even heard of any Holy Ghost. As I said to the funeral on Wednesday, on Friday, I said, I'm not sure of anyone's experience in here. But I'm not here today to doubt anyone's experience. You have an experience with God. I celebrate that with you. But I do want to tell you that there's a greater experience that you can be baptized with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm not here to doubt any experience with you, ha you have of God uh, if you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's an experience. And I celebrate that with you. I said, but I do want to tell you about baptism in Jesus' name, the name that is above every name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So they had some understanding. They knew about Daniel's prophecy in 9, 25, and 26. And, they, and Daniel, I'm sure, had related all the information that he had in, in Numbers there in uh, 24 and verse 17. So they had some information, and that's why they didn't go directly to 
Bethlehem. They went to Jerusalem, these wise men. And they're looking, they're searching. You know, if you are hungry and you search for God, he will lead you. Uh, they get to Jerusalem and they're asking around, where is the king? He is that was born a king of the Jews. And, and Herod the Great hears this. And he's a very superstitious and very, uh, 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 he's unstable in his mind. He's always looking around to, to see if someone's trying to overthrow him. And he hears about these wise men. Now, we don't know how many there were. Someone th- said there was three. That's just an inference because there were three gifts that they brought to Jesus. But, well, there could have been quite a few. And uh, uh, quite, I would think that there would be, have been traveling across those vast different distances, not by themselves. They look around and they ask, and Herod doesn't know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. So he asked the high priest. And they find out in Micah 5.2, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small. They said, right here, this is where he is going to be born. And so about a year and a half after Jesus, I know you see the wise men at Jesus' birth, but Jesus was about a year and a half at this time. And suddenly as they are approaching, the scripture says, that the star that they had originally seen, that they had heard about the prophecy. You see, this, this just wasn't random. They were putting the time frame together as in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 and 36, 26. And they were, they were looking at the time frame. And so when they saw the star again, this is a supernatural star because it came out of the star sky like a comet and came down and hovered right over the house. The Bible says it was a house. It was no longer stable. You see, Jesus, as I said, it was about a year and a half. Comes over the house. and Scripture says that they come into that house and they bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh and they worship the Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. All because... The direction of a dream. And, then, and after they'd worshipped, they were going to uh, go back. and Because Herod said, when you find him, you come back and you tell me. But in a dream, the scripture says, they were not warned to go home a different way. God speaks to us. He speaks to his children. He gives us direction. If you will listen to him, if you will be sensitive to his voice, you will know what he has to say to you and give you direction for your life. Amen. The fourth dream that we have of Joseph, God warned him in a dream not to go to Judah, Judea, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22. And he withdrew to the parts of Galilee and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. All of this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophets, that he could be called a Nazarene. There's no specific Old Testament verse that says this. And this is the only time that Matthew uses the plural prophets. That and the word that. Instead of saying this specific instance, this is what was prophesied by many different prophets. Suggesting that it's not a direct quote. The term Nazarene was a name given to those who lived in Nazareth. 
It was a place that was despised. There was a Roman garrison that was placed there. Have you ever been to through a military town? Military towns usually have a lot of bars and some unsavory things that go on. Yeah, you know, when you release a, a bunch of young men away from their moms and their dads, and they're about 18, 19, 20 years old, you know what I'm talking about, Brother Harold? <laughs> they, they're hooping it up. They're hooping and hollering. And so there was a garrison. And so the Jews of Judea didn't want anything to do. You, you know that in John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You're saying a prophet came out of Nazareth? Really? It was a place that was despised. But the Old Testament foretold that Jesus would be despised and rejected by men. Isaiah 53 said he would come riding on a donkey, lowly and humble. Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10. So in this sense, it could be said that he should be called a Nazarene. That is one despised. Later, Christians were falsely called Nazarenes by their enemies who assumed that Jesus was a false Messiah because he was from Nazareth. Acts 24, verse 5. They were ignorant of the fact or chose to ignore that Jesus was not born in Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of Micah's prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You see, why are you saying all these things, Pastor? I'm saying because God has his hand in our lives and he directs us. Amen. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's not just something that God did and then he has withdrawn forever. But he is very active. He is very uh, uh, anointing our lives and giving us direction now for the things that we do in just our everyday lives. I think it's a travesty that we reserve our requests from the Lord just for things we would consider to be worthy of his time. But you know, the scripture says he knows when one sparrow leaps from a branch and goes to the ground. He, he knows all these things and he knows the details of our life. He knows the very, uh, the wrenchings of our heart. He knows our fears. He knows our, uh, our, the, the shame. He knows our, our anxieties. Uh, uh, he knows all those things and he cares for us. Uh, the scripture says, cast your care upon him for he does care for you. Yes, Joseph was a great man who had four dreams from God and he always without hesitation obeyed the message given to him from God. You see, there's a key right there. He didn't argue with God. There is never a criticism in all the scripture of this righteous man, Joseph. The Bible tells us that he and Mary reared, reared Jesus in Nazareth. This unlikely town this bad place. Joseph was the only legal father, father of Jesus, but after the birth of Jesus, they came together as husband and wife and had four sons and at least two daughters. The Bible does not tell us what happened to Joseph. He ceases to be mentioned during the ministry of Christ. It is speculated that he probably died since he was older than Mary. The Bible does not record his death, nor does it record the death of Mary. And as I close this lesson this morning, it is vital to take our eyes off of Mary and Joseph and focus our eyes only on Jesus, the
the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. Amen. You see, there's Mary is special in that she was chosen, but that's it. She was special. Amen. And Joseph is special in that he was chosen, but that's it. That was his calling. And, and the Scripture doesn't refer to them any further. After their ministry was fulfilled, the Scripture is silent because really the one we're to focus on is Jesus the Christ. Amen. Christ came into this world to save us from our sins. He will save us if we will trust him and obey him. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to give you an altar call if you need to come and confess your sins and turn away from your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. God will wash away your sins and you can be righteous and holy. In his sight. Amen. Would you close your eyes or raise your hands to the Lord Jesus Christ right now? We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blessings. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for bringing us salvation, Lord. We thank you for the natural way that you did it. Lord, I thank you for speaking to our hearts and our minds and our lives and all the ways, all the ways that you speak to us, Lord, as we're sensitive to hear your voice. And this morning, as the word has gone forth, I pray that we would be sensitive to hear.